0: You are now entering the MXU podcast, no credentials required.
1: Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 35 of the MXU podcast. I'm here with my good friends, Grace Royce and Lee Fields. I'm Jeff Sandstrom, and we are just glad to be with you today. Guys, how are you doing? Ready for 4th of July, hot dogs and hamburgers.
2: Come on, Grace, how about you?
3: I'll be grilling something, that's for sure.
2: Yeah. But, you know, I've lived in California a while, but the hardest thing to get used to is the fireworks that won't leave the ground. Did you know this, Jeff? No, I don't know what you're talking about. So the law in California is all the fireworks can't leave the ground. So it's like the little stuff you just light and it spins around on the ground and then it's over. So they're not really fireworks. They're more like firecrackers. Yeah, they're like fire toys. (laughs) <laughs> every
3: single night for the last three weeks though there's like a chorus of m80s all over the city you know yeah it's, that's it's true crazy. so
2: you can drive to mexico or you can drive to reno so if you live in the northern part of the state you can go to reno and get real ones or you can go to mexico and get dynamite basically <laughs> got it i was
3: actually surprised when we got married on the boat our friend with a boat came over and launched fireworks over top of our boat. And I thought for sure, like the cops are going to come, the Ghetto Bird, nothing. Nobody cares. H- have a great weekend.
2: Launch your fireworks. That's awesome. <laughs> Is this the first time you've been back on since you've been married?
3: Uh, I don't know. Is it?
2: No, I think
1: I think we said congratulations last time, but that was about, you know, it, we're a couple months in now to your marriage, so we need an update. How How's everything going? How's uh, how's marital bliss? It's what's, good. What's it been like in lockdown?
3: Everything's good. Uh, yeah, I wasn't expecting to be on lockdown. I was definitely expecting to be on festival number six of 11 and coming up for air about two months from now. So yeah, we're definitely getting to know each other. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's awesome. But you have, since you're not doing festivals, we talked about this a second ago, you've been doing a lot of mentoring with the Sound Girls Network.
3: Yeah, Sound Girls got a lot of mentoring sessions going on. Uh, there's mentoring sessions for everybody going on. So I definitely encourage people at this time, you know, if you've got you've got somebody that you want to ask some questions for, like you guys touched on with Chris Stevens, hey, everybody's available. So you got no excuse not to reach out and ask some dorky questions and Get your nerd on with the, uh, the tech of your dreams because they found the end of Netflix already.
1: No, that's true. For anybody who's listening who would be interested in connecting with Soundgirls, especially, but specifically with you, like how would somebody go about reaching out?
3: They can send me an email at uh, graceroyce at gmail.com. Or, yeah, there's a catalog of individuals on Soundgirls and links to their socials and just feel free to reach out to anybody you see in there. We've got some awesome people, you know, everybody from Megan Holmes to Carrie keys. And these are people that have been in the industry 20 years. So that's awesome. awesome. One, One day we're going to we're get ask.
2: Carrie on here. It's been tough to line schedules up, but Carrie's going to do the podcast at some point.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Well, she's been with Pearl Jam for 20 years, monitor engineer.
3: I think this month would be her 20th anniversary. I saw
2: that in a magazine, an online magazine or something. I'm like, that's awesome.
3: Yeah. And the story, how she got into it is just awesome.
2: That's
1: so cool. Well, I can't wait to talk to her about it, but today we're actually talking to our good friend, Chris Stevens, who is the front of house engineer for Jason Aldean and has been for a long time. So I can't wait for you guys to hear our interview with him. As he just shares a bunch of his smarts and mix tricks and insights and approaches. He's he's a brilliant guy and we're going to hear from him in a few minutes. Um, so we're excited about that.
3: And there's some great tidbits in this interview about uh, delay compensation in the box, checking your latency in your mix, and an awesome warning about that little bypass button in some of the Waves stuff and what it actually does and does not do. So definitely, uh, tune in for that.
2: It is enlightening. This is the first time we've interviewed a front of house engineer who worked for an artist that to me is more famous for something else they do. Cause so I was a little bit like super stoked about this one. Cause Jason Aldean has his own bow hunting show on the outdoor channel. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> well, he's on a show a lot with uh, like Luke Bryan and a couple of those guys have their own show. Yeah. So I, I refrained and did not ask him any hunting questions. So,
1: so maybe we need to have Jason Aldine actually on the podcast so we can turn it into a
2: hunting uh, expedition on the podcast. We, I'd be down. <laughs> I'd totally be down.
3: Let's do it.
2: So, what else have you guys been up to? What's new?
3: A lot of mentoring, a little bit of writing, hoping to publish some stuff. You know, it's it's hard to remember keep moving forward during this time, you know, it's a little easy to sit, sit down and just get stuck in the mud. Um, but this chapter of, of stagnation is going to pass. And I'd just like to encourage everybody that you want to be able to look back and say, man, I did actually use my time well. And, uh, if you had all the time in the world, what would you do with it? And here you go.
1: That's good. Well, I've been, um, obviously, Lee and I have both been trying to keep up with bringing new content on the MXU Now side, but then I've also done some in-person training here and there with some churches uh, in the area, and that's been really good. I think it's a great reminder that um, for the people who are kind of managing their time well, like you're saying, Grace, there's a huge opportunity to come out of this better than when we started. And so whether that's you know, continuing to work on a particular skill or use tracks and virtual sound check to make your broadcast mix better, or use it as a way to make sure that your PA in your room, when you turn it back on, is going to be as good as your broadcast mix has become. You know, that's that's a huge issue for some guys. They're, they're going back to either limited uh, meeting in person or even just to go do a spot check in a PA and they turn up the master fader and it's like uh now my broadcast mix sounds better than my PA there's something going on with my room or with the PA deployment or with my subs or whatever that are maybe something i never noticed before because i was only paying attention and got used to how it sounded in here so uh, you know even through these next few months there's going to be opportunities to continue to make that better so i think when when we're back to full speed with people in the room and rocking, you know, at 98 dB. It's going to be like, okay, this was not fun, but a really good exercise in how to maximize the tools that we have.
3: Yeah, we're also really stretching ourselves on how to make the designs uh different Sunday to Sunday and not just have the same old thing. We have been rocking this way for what four or five months now. So people have, you know, seen our broadcast each weekend and Uh, This next week, we're going to set up our church. um, We're allowing small groups of singers to get together and some of the musicians. So we're actually setting up a video room in the round and doing camera shots that way because there was kind of this awkward look of, you know, some of these singers are just not comfortable being in front of the camera they're used to singing really loud in front of a big congregation but you stick them in front of a camera and ask them to produce a clean recording it's kind of a different scenario so we're hoping that putting them in the round where they're facing each other maybe a little less emphasis on where the cameras are add some cool lighting effects you know just just get a different look going on and let's see what the next few weeks look like.
2: Especially That's when that, cool. that saliva can just hit someone in the face right in front of them. Just, <laughs> just nail them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Bring your own PPE. Yeah. So um,
1: speaking of just resources and how we deploy things and making things different and all that, Lee, we were having a conversation a few minutes ago before we got on on the air here Yeah, about that whole stewardship idea. Yeah. There was something you wanted to talk about, so let's unpack that for a few minutes before we head to Chris. Is it too early to get on the soapbox in the podcast? I think it's <laughs> I think it's time for a soapbox. We're we're trying to we're trying to go a little old school with the last couple episodes, you know, bring back the soapbox, bring back turn it down for MXU. We need to just kind of go there. So let's let's hear your soapbox.
2: Okay, so this is actually a perfect follow-up to what Grace was just talking about in that people may be getting kind of tired of what we're doing online. And it also ties in with something that MXU and our brand and our our tribe, something that we've been pretty strong about, which is churches using their resources wisely. You know, like one of our top played podcasts that we have was the one titled How to not waste your church's money. Now, that's not to be confused with not spending any money. There's a difference in spending millions of dollars on equipment and then spending millions of dollars on equipment that's not needed, right? Right. And by the way, we made
1: this point during that podcast and during that conversation, but people don't really hear that part. All they hear is, well, they just don't want us to spend any money, or yeah, if I can't get a particular deal from a vendor, then I shouldn't even buy it. It's like right. no, that's not what we're saying, right. We've had some some interesting uh emails regarding that conversation from integrators and and other folks who've been like, "Man, you don't want me to make a living no, that's not what we're saying
2: it's right. just
1: why wise use of resources and stewardship is the point, yeah, um. But you've got kind of a different angle now based
2: on this lockdown situation. Totally. And, you know, things change and culture changes and and the church certainly needs to change. You know, if we look at the way we were doing church in 1990, it would be a lot different than it was in 2000. And then now in 2020, it's it's changing again, I think, right in front of our eyes right now. You know, we're July of 2020. Things are different. So, and 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 what here's what's happening to us, and and I now know that it's happening to other churches around the country. Our online viewing of our services because we can't meet in person. When we initially started this uh, back in March, the numbers were extremely high. I'm talking some churches in the six figures that you know only have five, six thousand people in their location, or churches of four hundred seeing. 2,000 people online. And a lot of that had to do with how we're measuring and then what it's on, you know, so like on Facebook, which we talked about has an average watch time of about a minute. So mm-hmm. you can boost a post on Facebook and a hundred thousand people show up for a minute. Okay. So, but then on our online platforms, and when I say that, I mean like BaysideOnline.com, and you're watching the service with the chat and everyone else from the church is really there that those watch times are a half hour. well, Uh, Us, for example, uh, we're a big church, but I'm going to give you the numbers just so to be totally transparent. When we meet in person, it's about 20,000 people across eight campuses. Well, when we were online, on social media, the numbers are in six-figure land, which that's fine. But um, a more realistic number on the online platform, they were around 50,000. So what we saw then was, you know, we may have 20,000 people on a weekend, but there's probably... Fifty or sixty thousand people in the city who call the church home, right? Yeah. Well, when the whole town, the whole state, and the whole country gets shut down, they all came online and we're watching. Well, for the past eight weeks in a row, it has been a steep decline in attendance, in engagement, giving. In some areas, is even down. So now we're going, uh-oh, what's happening? And I think, Grace, it's what you said. It, I think it's a bunch of different things all at once. There's Right now in the world, uh, socially and civilly, there's unrest and lots of crazy stuff's going on. We're in a global pandemic. Summer just hit and all the national parks and state parks just opened and people are out and they're camping and they're doing other stuff. And then I think... They've been
1: cooped up for a few months and they're ready to do something else on a Sunday. And so they're going to just go out.
2: Yeah. Right. And they're probably getting tired of the way we were doing church. You know, having your family gather around a certain... Experience whether that's a laptop or a television, at Saturday at five o'clock, that's getting harder and harder to repeat. So now we're asking ourselves, okay, what do we need to do? How how are we going to pivot? Now, if we look at YouTube stats, podcast stats in general, just digital engagement around the world, that stuff is up. So like YouTube views, Netflix, Netflix signed up thirty million people in the month of April. That was their. Highest, <laughs> highest subscription month they've ever had. So what we know is people are not looking at their phones less. Like, do you guys get those weekly reports of your screen time? Oh yeah. Mine's been up. Way up. Oh, mine's yeah. like double what it has ever been. So what we know is people are definitely engaged more with their screens, but they're watching church less. So how do we solve that problem? I know this is a long winded explanation, but I, I feel like I needed to give that to, uh, to drop the bombshell and we need to not think of church as a, an experience for an hour on a weekend and figure out how to engage people every single day of the week. We've been kind of talking about that more, but now we're getting serious about it. So how do we do that? Well, we've got to really shift the way our churches operate. Kerry Newhoff on his podcast a few weeks ago, he said churches should be spending up to 50% of their annual budgets on digital. And what he means by digital is how we're engaging people through the devices in their pockets. That's really how we're doing it. So us being a production staff now is when I'm saying, maybe we're not spending enough money. Maybe we need to double the size of our staffs. Maybe we need more cameras. Maybe we need remote locations on our campuses. Maybe we need field rigs. Maybe we need more cinematographers, uh, photographers. Just the whole gamut of all of our communications and and production teams, I think it's a new day. And the days of hiring singles pastors, and they have an admin, and a, a care center where people are coming to counseling, and they have a support staff, I think that is shifting and being replaced with digital communications and technology investments. So that's where I'm saying... Um, maybe it's not how to waste, like still, let's not waste money. But if we're not thinking, how are we diverting resources from areas that we're not seeing any return on and putting them into technology, I think it's going to bite us in the tail.
1: Yeah. And again, it's not a like dollar number on a spreadsheet conversation. It's a stewardship conversation, right? which is always about What's the wisest spending choice we can make as a way to leverage this money toward the most effective mission that we can have in our community? And that's sometimes, you know, there was a time when that was, hey, we're going to pour it all into creating a whiz bang experience in the room for a thousand people. Now it's going to have to shift, you know, not only because those thousand people Have been there, done that with some of that whiz bang experience, but their their attention and their needs and their family and all that stuff is being diverted. So it's it's probably a conversation that we've needed to have for a long time. This has just kind of forced the issue. And so I think I think you're right and have probably been right, but I think it was easy for churches to just sort of ignore the problem because people were still showing up and they were still doing
2: their thing and it was fine. Yep.
1: So It's a, it's a really good point.
2: Yeah. So we've, we've dropped 75% in viewing over the last seven weeks and it's going down every week. And then this weekend is 4th of July. So it's going to go down again. So we're in a bit of like panic mode, trying to restructure everything right now, which thankfully we've got leaders that are also like, uh Oh, what, what are we doing? Like it's, if this is going to be the new normal for the next year, year and a half, you know, we're seeing that with the touring industry, there's. Tours aren't planning on going out till next summer. Yeah. So I think we've got to adapt and spend more money. There, I said it. Manufacturers and integrators. (laughs) Lee from MXU wants churches to spend more money.
1: Well, and I, you know, for the people who care about their care team and their singles ministry and all those things, it's not like we're saying they don't get any money anymore. I think, again, even for them, it's like, okay, what's the best way for us to provide care? digitally. Right. What's the best way for our counselors to engage people that that's still private, that's still confidential, but it's on a Zoom call or on some sort of virtual format where you can still get the help you need. Whatever that is, I think it's the whole church coming around this idea of how can we be more engaging and thereby be more effective. Yeah. Even though the tools might be completely different than what, are, what we're used to.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's the worst time ever to think about laying someone off during a global pandemic when you know we've lost 25 million jobs or something crazy. However, if you're a, a staff of 10 and you need to divert some resources from your budget or your payroll, and let's say it's one person and you're hesitant to do it, if you don't make those choices or figure out where that income is going to come from, you may be looking at five people a year from now. So it's just something that we all need to consider. Yeah. Grace, tell me what I said wrong.
3: Well, I think it's a crazy time we're living in. No, I, I absolutely agree. And, um, you know, the, the hard thing for a church to think about doing right now would be hiring new people. Um, but there are some really, really talented editors, graphic designers, camera ops, and they're all unemployed and they need a gig and you need them. So like you said, reallocating those resources and, and getting brave about setting something up in your worship center that maybe looks a little different, figuring out how to re-engage people. They're really missing that experience on Sunday, that feeling literally the low end in their feet, arms in the air you know, tears down their face, kind of experience, and they're just not getting in, in front of the TV. And you know, there is some work we can do about that. And I, I yeah. think it's it's worth our efforts to try. And we are setting a new precedent on how church is going to be consumed and participated in in the future, even when things are back up and running. For me personally, the way that I found church and got involved was on. A digital platform. The very first time I even logged in to the church that I'd currently attend, I was alone in a hotel room in Sao Paulo, and I absorbed all of the content they had online within about three days, you know, and was immediately craving more. And so we're also in this weird time where some churches can't provide the content after it airs, um, because right. of financial restrictions on licensing and that kind of thing, it really may be a time to look into how they can get to the point where the worship part of the message is available after 8 a.m.
2: Yeah, no joke. I mean, like well, this podcast, for example, you know, a lot of churches don't have podcasts and I think it's the most low-hanging fruit. So. When we started this podcast, we didn't know the potential it would have to grow what we were doing. Well, it turns out it's the leading thing that helps us. Like it's the largest audience. We have more podcast subscribers than we have followers on Facebook and Instagram combined. So like if you're out there and going, I can't get my church to do a podcast, they just they're not interested, go start it yourself and upload those messages to a podcast. Go put them go put your messages on YouTube for replay. That's good. Like you just have to get out there and, and just do it.
3: And there's some young worship pastors and student pastors and even tech directors that I would consider pastors. They probably don't consider themselves pastors, but I can tell you the influence they've had on my life. They're absolutely pastors. Uh, their message is important. And I, I, I'm back in that, get out there and put out the content and just see how it, people respond to it. I think they'll be surprised.
2: Oh, yeah. I just meant if their senior pastors don't have one, our tech guys need to go just put it on iTunes, put it on Spotify, ask for forgiveness on that stuff. You know, I think in some ways it's going to be up to us to lead up in these areas and not wait for your leadership to tell you what we need to be doing digitally. It's for you to show them the potential, like show them, hey, yes, I'm asking for a hundred thousand dollars in a video upgrade and you're like well what's that going to get us well we're going to be able to do hosting from three different locations for online so it's a little more engaging it's not in shot in this big room and then you know like what we're seeing elevation do with all these different hosting moments that's expensive to have these fiber connections with com and these monitors and tvs and different locations but the return you get on that is totally worth it that's one thing we're doing right now is like our video looks decent, but we're losing people in those transitions when like between the message and announcements and like all that stuff. We're just, we're relooking at how all that stuff's done. And like our systems are more like it's a Honda Civic with a NASCAR engine inside. It's kind of the way mm-hmm. we, we do it. But we've done every upgrade to this Honda Civic we can. Like it's done. <laughs> so we're going to need to go buy a Ferrari. Like it's actually time. But once we buy that Ferrari, now we can do a hundred other things that aren't even on the table yet. So it's like this tipping point. So like we've pushed it as far as we can and we're going to have to make some significant investments. But once we do, we're not just going to be able to do one more thing. We'll be able to do a hundred other things.
3: And you touched on investments. Uh, We talked about this a little bit earlier, just not spending money on lower grade gear you know yes. if, you, if you can't afford the gear at the moment well lucky for you there's a ton of warehouses full of gear nobody's using right now and i bet they're dying to rent it to somebody you could kind of get an in the meantime deal going on there's yep. also a ton of financing options i just encourage people not to buy something that's going to be obsolete two years from now
1: if you just because you get a good deal get yeah. the
3: ferrari you know
1: That's good. And the other thing about people, I think, Grace, you made a great point, and I don't want people to miss that, about the number of incredibly talented people who are out of work for a year. It's like, man, we have the best story to tell. Let's make sure we have the best storytellers helping us communicate that. And so if that means, man, helping somebody out who's out of a job, but you can Help them as a freelancer. You can give them, you know, some temporary work, all of that stuff. It's like, man, the touring industry is full of the most creative minds that the church has never tapped into, broadly speaking. And there's a huge opportunity not only to leverage their talent, but to engage them in this story that might be influential for them in ways that we can't even imagine. So, Uh, man, there's such a huge opportunity for that. And I don't want people to just not think
2: creatively about how to make those bridges happen. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, our friend Corey Edwards, who's been on this podcast, I was talking to him yesterday and he just put a studio in his house in one of his spare rooms, put a little desk. He's got some nice monitors. So I called him like, bro, what are you doing over there? He's like, well, I'm mixing weekends for like eight churches right now. So they're pre-recording their worship and sending him the tracks and he's mixing them and turn them around. So it that's exactly what we're talking about. So yeah, whether you're out there and you're like, we need help with video or lighting or audio, but and you follow some of these guys on Instagram, slide in those DMs, baby. Hit those guys up. They're that's looking for words. The biggest right.
3: question I get is how do I get a hold of them or where do I find these people? Or, you know, I don't know any churches that need help or whatever. Uh One of the things I'm doing in my mentor sessions is having my mentees make a list, like pretend you were going to put together your own crew and give me three names in every position on the gig and then commit to at least once a week reaching out to two or three of those names offering them value, asking them how they're doing, asking them what you could do to support them during this time. And then hopefully when this all comes back around, you got a list of people you can go to. In the meantime, you got, you're touching out to your network and you're all getting together and you're putting your heads together and things will happen. But if you... That's huge. The the biggest thing I remember when I first started going to the church was like not being the kind of Christian like, oh, I'm gonna just pray for something to happen for me. You know, like mm-hmm. you, you can't just sit down in the fire and kind of pout about, oh, this has all happened to me and I'm out of a gig and now I'm not even getting to work at the church and everything stinks and stand your butt up and start making some little steps in the right direction. It's not going to unstink overnight, but at least you're making the right moves in the right direction. And if you're reaching out to your network, something's going to pop or at least you have the phone number when you have a question, hey, I got to mix down this thing. I don't have an interface. You got you got somebody in your neighborhood or nearby that you can call.
2: Totally. That same logic applies to guys that are on staff at churches and are frustrated that their leadership doesn't see the possibilities or things could be different, or we could be doing things so much better. And they just sit around and mope about it and won't actually do something. Like get out there and freaking just do it. Like I I think we've said this before, like speeding tickets are better than parking tickets. Like if you're going to get in trouble for something, get in trouble for (laughs) going too fast, not setting the freak still.
3: In my good. in my touring world, we used to always say, "Ask for uh, forgiveness than permission." Yeah. Sometimes, you know, yes. your leaders, your leaders sometimes are of a different generation. They're older. They don't see the big picture. And I always encourage people not to discount a young buck coming up saying like, "Oh, I got this idea," and trying to shut them down. But the same is true in reverse. If you're the young buck, don't worry about what that older person says about what you can or can't do. They totally. may just not see what you see.
1: That's good. And the other thing is, each of those personal uh, points of contact is making an emotional connection so that when there is the need for your service or your talent or your whatever, that's going to be what comes back to their memory, you know, on the other side, like to your mentee's point. It's like, you keep reaching out and in a personal way, have this connection. Then when they do have a need for somebody, you're going to be the first one to come to their mind because there's an emotional thing that, you know, has been constant the whole time. So it's not just a Rolodex at that point. It's an actual relationship. And that is huge.
3: Yeah. Your network's vital. Don't wait till you're thirsty to dig the well, you or you're going to be SOL.
2: Put that on a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's no joke. Too many people know what Sol is now I can't wear that to church. Okay, but don't wait till you're thirsty to dig the well is is a good is a good one. That is a good one. Okay, speaking of uh throwing things back to the way they used to be, how about some turndown for MXU?
3: Oh yes, please. I
2: <laughs> okay, I got this in a DM to our account. This is really good. <laughs> this is from a long time. Mxu tribe member. I'm going to say his name because the comment card says anonymous. So why not? This is from Dylan Hoffman. Okay. Um, We got an anonymous comment card. Of course, he says that said quote. Why do you have the keys come up and play behind the pastor at the end of his sermon? It's like the Oscars, and you are cutting off the Holy Spirit. (laughs) This is not okay. Maybe you should give the pastor a clock or something in the rear of the room like you do everything else. Please fix this or I am not coming back. Whoa. Isn't
3: that
2: crazy? Unreal.
3: What's his major complaint? He just doesn't like the pad going on behind the prayer?
2: I think he feels like it's the Oscars. Like when you start the music, they're over time. That means it's time to wrap up. Wow. Which That's that's not it at all.
3: We're trying to add an emotional feeling to the end of the prayer. It's not right. really, yeah.
2: Yeah, go watch Star Wars we're without not the kick, music.
3: We're not kicking him off. the.
2: <laughs> no, it's hilarious. Okay. That's unreal. Can we do another one? Yeah. Um, I didn't screen this one. I'm just going to go for it. This is a letter. Who's this from? I'm not sure. Starts off great, though. What is wrong with you guys? I've never seen a drum set this dirty. <laughs> <laughs> You've never been in a bar. <laughs> I've never seen a drum set this dirty, unmaintained in my life. Yet alone, yet alone in a church. That's what he wrote. None yet of the, alone. Yet not alone. Let alone. Yeah. <laughs> None of the drumsticks are usable. Some parts and bolts are on the ground. I think this is from a drummer. No kidding the toms are not tuned, etc. I find it shameful that the drum set is in such condition and wonder what must be going on through your minds when you use it. Are you at a metal concert? I understand that sometimes we get carried away by the Holy spirit when playing, but this is ridiculous. Here's to hoping everything gets better.
3: Sounds like he wants to volunteer on Sundays. Get in there.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Maybe he doesn't like his frequency of planning center schedules.
3: I am proud to say that our our drummer uh breaks sticks all the time and there's always like little hamster, you know, shreds around the drum seat. He's really wailing on those things.
1: That's amazing. Well, we have one more and I I don't know I don't know if we should join this person in praying for the team or what happened, but this is just interesting to me because it's a note that's um it's The the paper that it's written on, at the top, it says, Christmas wish list. So this is from months ago, but this was somebody's Christmas wish. I think you should be ashamed. How much time do you spend praying each day for guidance, anointing, and true dedication to follow the Spirit of God? I do not feel in any way God has been honored in today's presentation. I will be praying for you. Love in Christ. Jesus the Lord is the last one. Jesus the Lord. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jesus the Lord. So what did the tech team do or not do to incur the wrath of this person with the writing
2: of an 80-year-old woman? I don't know, but it is pretty uh, intense. So did you see the one before that? I was having a hard time figuring out what this was, but I, I get it now. It's the same Christmas wish list on a separate page. Oh, I see it now. Okay. And the first line says, oh, the reckless love of God. And they've underlined the word reckless. Okay. So sidebar, there's a bit of a controversy with this song, Reckless Love, because some people right. think God's love isn't reckless. So it was this whole thing. And yeah. then so they follow with, better be careful this week. <laughs> Wow.
1: Well, we better not say anything about sloppy wet kisses at this point because this person might have a conniption fit and drop dead on the spot. Oh gosh. Oh my goodness. What I've
3: is sloppy wet kisses?
2: There is a song called How He Loves. There is a line in the song, and it's uh it says Sloppy Wet Kiss. So the, it's, the when, line,
1: it's the song is about God's love and The bridge says, Heaven meets earth like a sloppy, wet kiss. So the original turns violently inside of my chest when I think about the way you love me. So it's basically that was the original lyric.
2: Not a Justin Bieber song.
1: (laughs) No. And then it got turned into um, different versions of that because people didn't want to say that God's love was like a sloppy, wet kiss.
2: It made it to the radio, but it was an unforeseen kiss. 'Cause the the Baptist couldn't handle the sloppy wet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on that note, we need to get
1: to our interview with Chris. Okay, good idea.
2: <laughs> Bail, I'm bailing.
1: I'm glad we brought back the old school though. This is fun. We need to we need to do this
2: every time. No kidding. Okay, yeah. So, so Chris Stevens, front of house engineer for Jason Aldean, who is a professional bow hunter. I mean, he's a country music singer. Um, All of you uh, people that are super into audio, gear nerds, mathematicians, buckle up. Amen. Well, we are really pleased today to be joined
1: by our friend Chris Stevens. Um, I haven't seen Chris in a, in a couple of years because he's always out on the road with Jason Aldean, but lately he hasn't been because of all this craziness in the world we live in right now, so we we're grateful to have some time to just sit down with Chris and catch up and chat and see what's going on in his world. So Chris, thanks so much for being here and for joining us on the MXU podcast. Yeah,
0: it's great to be here. It's good to see you guys.
2: Chris, I you and I have never met, but I've heard your name for years and it usually goes something like this. Like I ask some guy in Nashville a mixing buddy. I'm like, "Hey, who's like crushing it? Who's like doing awesome? Like who's who's got some of the best mixes out there?" And inevitably it goes, well, have you heard Chris mix Jason? That's the <laughs> that's how it goes. And I had not. So now we're I'm gonna ask you a bunch of questions about your mix that I think is okay. awesome, even though I've never heard it, basically. <laughs> that's that's how this is gonna go.
1: <laughs> I, I'm glad And the other thing that usually goes along with that conversation is not only is the mix really great and musical and everything, but Chris is also one of the smartest guys you'll ever want to be around. So <laughs> he's figured out a lot of things about workflows and efficiencies. And he's a. Uh, I remember the first time I used the SSL console, I was asked to mix a Christmas tour for Stephen Curtis Chapman. I think it was like end of 2014 or something. And uh, the Spectrum was the provider for the gear. And I had never touched the console before. And it was back in the day before the console shipped with any like templates for show files. And so Bobby from spectrum sent me a console that I could kind of set up in advance and I opened it up and turned it on. And I was like, I have no idea how this thing even works because it's just, it's literally it loaded with nothing. You had to tell it how many inputs, how many outputs, how many buses, what kind of inputs, you know, all the stuff. So I called Chris and I was like, bro, help. And so I, I'm still grateful that you sent me sort of a starting point for a show
0: file because I was oh, yeah. totally lost. It's uh it's funny because in the in the kind of the early days of that of that platform, there was a you know they I think they were very proud of it being so flexible and, and so it was like, yeah, we'll just give everybody a blank template and yeah. which is great if you have the knowledge base and time to do that, but a lot of people don't have The time to just sit there and create 200 channels yeah
1: well it was one of the first just
0: start with something that looks like a console yeah it
1: was one of the first experiences i've had where because any anything that you're looking at on the surface like a fader for example because anything could be anything it was incredibly flexible but you had to tell it exactly what you wanted it to be otherwise you had no idea where you were so anyway if I haven't
2: thanked you for that
0: lately, wow. thank you again. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I'm glad to help.
2: Chris, I'd love to hear how you got started. What even brought you up to this point of what you're doing? What got you into mixing in the first place?
0: Um, it's funny. I started, uh, We, my family moved to Knoxville, Tennessee when I was in like the seventh grade. Bro, and no way. Are you from Knoxville? I'm from Maryville oh no way all right yeah. well, we were, we lived in Farragut
2: well there you go I, I moved um, over to Farragut after I got married so
0: oh no way huh Yep. all right well anyways we uh so we moved there uh when I was in like middle school and started going to a like a big mega church uh pretty Concord. soon after we moved there yeah and so I got involved doing audio stuff there was like a ad in the bulletin where, like we need volunteers to help with the audio and i just i my, i don't even remember this but i my parents tell me that i was like showed them the thing and was like i want to do this and wow. so i just got involved in in doing audio that way and and there was a pretty they did some pretty elaborate productions at that yeah. church and so i was able to get a lot of experience in middle school and high school doing you know, probably bigger things than I really had any business doing at 15 or 16 years old. Um, and so then that led to me, uh, deciding I wanted to do this for a living, uh, went to Belmont in Nashville. So I moved to Nashville to go to Belmont and then stayed, um, did a music business production degree at Belmont. And then, uh, from there, got a job at, at a sound company. I was working at Spectrum for a couple of years and did that, did a little bit of touring with, um, like my first gig was with, was through Spectrum was Winona Judd. So I did that for about a year and a half and then um, got a gig with, I guess my next thing was Michael McDonald. So that was my first like road gig working for the band was was with michael mcdonald i was doing monitors on that i did that for about two years um and then i got the gig with jason in 09 so i've been with him 11 years now which is wow seems crazy to think back now that that was 11 years ago but i can't
1: believe it's been that long
0: Yeah. yeah 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 so it's uh it was yeah it was like august or september of 09 was my first show um
1: and that was kind of before he was Jason Aldean, right? I mean, yeah. he was
0: just just kind of coming up. So like uh I think the w- my first show they found out that Big Green Tractor had gone number 1 like that day. And that ended up being one of his biggest songs and it kind of catapulted his career. Um that was a big turning point in his career and then and then the next you know, when I started we had uh one truck and two buses and in by that was fall of oh nine we had one truck two buses there was like six crew guys including the tour manager and then in april of 13 we did our first football stadium <laughs> <laughs> that is so, wild i mean we were still doing they were still doing like honky tonks and and clubs as like dates that had been booked 18 months, two years out that he didn't really have any business doing at that point in his career, but they had already booked them. And then in less than four years, we were doing football stadiums.
2: You did something at Gillette stadium, right? Wasn't that one of the first ones
0: we did? We, that was a, that was a Brad Paisley show. So we were direct support for uh, a Brad Paisley show. And that was in like 12, I think. Okay. Um, and then I guess our, th- our first headlining thing was, was in 13, um, a- in Athens at the Georgia stadium. That's awesome.
1: So I'm, you know, every time we talk to guys who've reached sort of a certain level of status in the industry or certain size of gig or whatever, I'm always fascinated by the kind of the, the in-between stage. Cause you know, we talk to a lot of guys who get their start just like you i mean in, in a church or in in high school as a young person you know there's this passion and this interest and all that but somehow that had to get stoked by either a mentor or somebody who was your kind of td at the church who saw something in you or a musical interest or something else that that you know you were obviously you know gifted in a certain way to even have the aptitude as a 15 16 year old so what was that like from high school through college what was that process like for you to like was there a mentor was you know how did you scale up being such a young person
0: i uh, when i got involved in in at the church i um there was a guy there who was who mixed uh all the services his name was mike DeFries. he uh is still in the industry he uh wasn't like a staff member or anything. He worked at a contracting company that did, um, installations. And, uh, now he works for QSC. It's like a regional sales rep for QSC. Okay. Um, But, uh, anyways, he very much like took me under his wing and, and like, I would just sit with him and, and I mean, not pay attention in church and just ask him a million questions. (laughs) That's so cool. For, for years. I mean, for like five years until I graduated high school. Um, and I mean, it was actually really cool because we did Thompson Bowling Arena in Knoxville back in February. And he, I hadn't seen him in years and years. And I I tracked his number down from somebody and he came out and like hung out for the show and got to sit at front of house. And and we he got chatted, to ask you a bunch of questions. And, <laughs> and, and, and it, was, it was so cool. It was great to just get to catch up with him and for him to kind of get to see like, you know, what I ended up doing and and it was it was very cool very rewarding to kind of get to like catch back up with him but that was it without his kind of interest in me I, I don't know that I would I wouldn't have probably stuck with it to the extent that I did so that I'm very grateful for that and and I think like you know once I got to Belmont like I really enjoyed Belmont. It was great. Like I have tons of great things to say about it, but it is very much like you get into it, what you put out of it. And I guess that's the case with anything, but like, you know, I was also there and it was interesting because since then I've kept in touch with some of my professors and things like that. And they've all said that like the time that I was there was a really unique time because there was like just such a concentration of people that were interested in live sound that were, that brought some knowledge into the program, some prior experience and, and really pushed the program forward. And so like being there with, I mean, there's probably, I mean, I'm not going to bore you with naming all the guys that I graduated college with that now have like a list road gigs because there's dozens. Wow. Um, I mean, that's, seriously.
2: That's usually not the case, right? It's it's sometimes no. like uh I graduated at Full Sail and was a valedictorian. I'm like, well, that doesn't mean squat, you know, yeah, or I, mean, I got a degree from MTSU in audio engineering. Like a lot of like, guys just do something different.
0: Yeah, I mean, my, you know, my roommate, uh Josh Reynolds, mixes little big town now. Uh I mean, I'm trying to think like guys <sighs> Thomas Rett's front of house guy, Casey Musgraves, uh, Lady Ace production manager, uh, Kelsey Ballerini's front of house guy, Thomas Rett's production manager. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm just
2: all like from the all same these, class.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, these guys were a year or two on either side of me Yeah, and that's, I mean, there were, there were seriously probably 20 or 30 people that are all still in the industry, still doing great things that I, and we were all there at the same time. And so That's it really, cool. really that was another kind of catalyst in just being surrounded by people that were really passionate, really wanted to push everybody kind of pushing everyone else to be better and and that made a huge difference in in kind of I think my growth in knowledge and experience and um So yeah, that was that was probably the other thing that really kind of cemented my you know ability to be successful later on that's really cool so for all the church tds out there be on the lookout for a
1: bright young eager kid that you might not think is much of anything right now because you never know four or five years from now they might be you know the future of some production company so i love that you know just that idea of mentoring and leadership and just being open to answer questions and you know that whole that whole thing is such a part of what we're about so that's really cool to hear
2: okay so let's talk about gear and mixing a little bit i have yeah. some some questions so i love mixing rock music and jason his music it's country but it's it's not like typical country right it's got no. the big guitars and big drums so like talk to me about your approach just mixing him like what what's your mindset so uh,
0: they've taken a really interesting approach with the way that they with the instrumentation and and kind of the musical direction of Jason's live show um because it is i mean the records the last couple records have started to get a little bit more complex but but at its core it's a it's a five piece rock band it's two guitars bass drums and a pedal steel And so when we do like when we do TV and it's just and there's no tracks on that song, it's like 17 inputs. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Uh, I love it. Yeah. I mean, like if if we're doing an award show or something and we don't have all our stuff and it's just the band and no tracks, it's uh, less than 20 inputs. So and that's like double mic guitar cabinets and everything. I mean, it's two bass inputs and it's still only you know, a little over a dozen inputs. So it's very simple at its core. And so, you know, and what they've done is over the years, like his kind of influences have, his other musical influences have kind of affected the live, the production and and arrangements in the live show a lot more than it has the records. So they are kind of able to play with heavier guitar tones, things like that in the live show a lot easier than they can on the, on the albums. And so, you know, what we're able to do is, is kind of be as loud and bombastic as, as, as we can. And, and it's not, the approach is very much not a traditional country music, you know, kick and bass, backbeat, vocal on top lead instrument around that kind of approach. It's, it's the guitars are really the feature of the two electric guitars are really kind of the feature of the mix. Um, And so I've spent a lot of time kind of approaching that from like making that the base, the foundation of the mix, and then kind of building everything else up around that. And, and his, his, vocal timbre, him being a, a tenor ish vocal sits really well in those big, you know, drop D guitars. Yeah. Because that kind of mid range where his vocal lives, there's not a lot of information there. So I'm able to kind of get him back into the guitars a lot easier, especially on the really loud stuff. Um, so from that perspective, like I use a lot of parallel compression mm-hmm. to kind of create the illusion of dynamics when yep. there aren't really any. Like, I mean, the show is if you were to uh, it, it's loud, I don't mean loud decibel wise. I mean, loudness, loud, like yeah. it's very compressed Uh, and and that's very intentional you know it, it, my approach is that in a big room the bigger the room the harder it is to get everyone to hear everything and albums are compressed the radios compressed the way that people hear the music is mastered to right you know a a 6 db dynamic range so yeah. you know that's that's kind of i see that as a challenge to create those sorts of layers that dense really tight mix in a live environment so using a lot of parallel compression i'm kind of able to create those the the illusion of there being more dynamics than there are Mm -hmm. by by having things that are super compressed and having things that aren't and then blending those two together
2: yeah that makes sense so for
1: your guitar compression for example you've got basically the the dry channels and whatever the 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 guys are giving you and then Mm -hmm. you've got your Um, Your parallel bus on a separate fader that you just ride in and out per section of the song or per song
0: or what I end up doing is is actually there's two. So I use everything has two groups. So like the drums have two groups, cymbals, bass, guitars. I guess that's it. And so like for the guitars, I'll route the guitar inputs to a clean group and a crush group. And so then the clean group is completely unprocessed. There's no no EQ no dynamics. It's just passing the audio through. And then the crush group goes through a, um, Pultec EQP one a, which is like hundred Hertz, four K like plus eight. Oh wow. Like really super scooped. And is that hardware or plugin plugin? Yeah. I don't have any analog hardware. Everything's, everything's digital in the box. Um, I like it to work every day <laughs> and I don't want to I don't want to have to take it apart I'd you rather don't have to maintain it yeah I'd rather fuss with the software than than yeah. have to solder on anything replace tubes but um and all your so, plugins are waves based or are you using internal yeah I'm using some stuff too. on the console okay. a, a few things not a ton uh but I, I've I've actually kind of like in the last year or two kind of trimmed down some of the stuff I'm doing in waves and transitioned some more of that into the console so, you're down from 200 plugins to 100, basically? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> something like that. I'm doing a lot more. I'm Really, I'm creating more paths for me to do more effects. Because gotcha. I was doing a lot of channel processing in waves that I didn't need to be doing in waves. It was just stuff that I copied over from old show files and kind of just old habits. And since then, I've realized like I'm not. Like, I don't need this thing to be in waves. I just need a compressor on it. And and the console compressor sounds fantastic anyways. So, um, so anyway, so those, all those inputs are routed to those two groups. So one being clean, the other having going through, um, a compressor of some sort, I think on the guitars, I'm using a API 2,500, uh, and then the Poltec, uh, and an NLS, uh, bus. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And I just kind of use the NLS bus, like if the room is weird in one spot, like I'll just toggle through the three uh, console emulations on the NLS bus. And a lot of times, like without having to EQ anything, one of those just kind of sits better in the room. Interesting. Mm. And and I can just kind of use that for shape and not really like have to turn a knob. And it's also easier to remember to put that back. Right. And I don't get myself down a wormhole of of yanking on channel EQs. It's just like, I can just click through one of those three and one of them is like, I have one that I almost always use, but if it sounds weird, I'll try a different one. And sometimes that works to kind of fix a problem of a weird spot in a room. So all those channels feed to that that crush bus post fader. Yeah. So the louder things get, the more it compresses. Yeah. So the I have like on my channel faders are automated and then my uh VCAs for my two guitar players and and the drums and all that stuff are automated. So for like the really quiet songs, like the guitar, the lead guitar VCA might be at like -6 or -7 at the start of the song. And then for like she's country, it'll start at
2: +8. Yeah.
0: So like That, you know, 1620 dB dynamic range between those two things affects how hard it hits the crush group compressor. So for the quiet songs, the crush group compressor doesn't, it doesn't do anything. I'm I'm not even touching it. So there's no compression. So on the, the cleaner guitar tones, the kind of like jangly country sounding songs, Mm -hmm. there's no compression. But then when we get into the loud songs, I'm pushing into that crush compressor a lot. And so, and then the same with the leads. Like if I push up a guitar for a solo, it compresses all the guitars on that group.
2: So the EQ you've got before that API or after adding all that 4k? After.
0: Yeah. It's at the end. It's at the end. So it'll be like NLS 2500, the EQP1A. And then I was using the MOG EQ4 uh just the air band yeah to put a couple db on that but that's not supported in super rack anymore so i have to come up with something else which is a (laughs) bummer i like Uh got into it with plugin alliance about that and they were you know dude that
2: that air band on that eq is unbelievable it's so
0: good it's so good and i had it i had it on all of my groups just to and and it's like you can't even like you, it's like you can't even hear it. It just totally. perceive that it's like it's just this sense that it's more open and like i'm so bummed because like i i might i don't know. I I can't bring myself to like carry around a hardware one cuz i would need like six of them
2: because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're
0: mono and all of my sources are stereo for those things but like it's uh it's I've, i was so bummed. And i'm using eq uh the vq4 which is fine. It's yeah. similar, but it's not the same thing. It's the same. And I, no, I'm, it's I'm like I'm bummed about that.
2: It's it's like it should say like 40K on it or something. Yeah. You know <laughs> what I, I mean? It's,
0: yeah, it's crazy how it just opens everything up. So anyways, that's kind of how that setup works. And then I use the, the post fader pushing into that compressor post fader to really kind of draw, like to kind of automate how much I'm compressing the mix. Because I know that if I just turn it up, I'm going to get more compression. Like the console is going to push back. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I create dynamics between the quiet songs and the loud songs. Making the loud songs really compressed and the quiet songs really open is by feeding all of my crush groups post fader.
1: That's cool. So your your VCAs are controlling inputs. Yeah. Okay, so some of our listeners are—they're going to need to rewind a little bit because we've talked to some people who use VCA's to control groups because they Mm -hmm. don't want it affecting the compression. You're actually doing the opposite. You're you're using it to do that very thing to drive to drive compression. So that's why your VCA's are controlling input channels. Correct. So that you can hit the compression harder and softer as
0: you go. Exactly. That's very cool. And it like I wouldn't do that if I didn't know exactly what was going to happen at exactly every point in the show, every single night. So like, if it's, if it's not, if you're just, you know, mixing a band at a festival, that is not the approach I would take because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what you're going to need to do. So you want to have things a little bit more under control, but like I, through years of kind of mixing the same band, I know what I can get away with and, and where to set that threshold. Mm -hmm. where the loudest point is going to be the most compression that i want and the quietest point is none so very cool yeah
2: so back to that guitar compressor is that a high ratio
0: uh i think it's like four to one okay and and the same with the drums it's like maybe six to one so like the drums are maybe hitting six db of gain reduction eight okay. db of gain reduction on that group but it's not like a limit like the, yeah. some, i know some people like will do like a 33 609 with like a limiter and I, i've just never i played around with like l2 and some other like limiting things and i just felt like it really i could never get the attack times to sit where i wanted to loot to not Squash all the transient out of the drums. Yeah, especially. part of that part of that bigness that you need from the drums is for those transients to still get yeah. through and to
1: to speak to add to the actual you know bombast to
0: use your word of of the drum kit. Exactly. And I don't know. I mean, other than the vocals, I don't have a compressor on in the rig with the attack time set faster than thirty-five or forty milliseconds. Yeah, because I, I just feel like at that point you're you know even with the guitars like the pick scrape like those kind of you know yep. like the, that radio head creep go, yep. go, sound like yep. you're just you're squashing all that out Yep, and and it, the other thing is i think a lot of people you know 20 years ago you couldn't send that to a pa like you would melt a macro tech 5000 if you tried to send it that much transient right interesting yeah but today, like PA systems today are so sophisticated and have so much more headroom that you can send it that much transient and that much level and, and get that back and feel that, that transient, that impact come back from the PA and you don't have to worry about freaking out processors and limiters and that sort of thing.
2: Yeah. I haven't heard a system tech say the word excursion in like 10 years.
0: Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like those are things that we don't have to worry about anymore, yeah. which is great. And, and you know, so it it really frees you up to mix a lot more, to use a lot more, you know, kind of progressive new techniques that, that are things that people have done in studios for decades, but are only kind of now because the technology is there you're able to do those sorts of things live
2: okay so circling back to parallel compression um you said the guitar group the one of them's dry and one of them's going outside the console and coming back in so let's talk about delay compensation
0: yeah 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 so how are you took, doing that that i'm doing all of that manually so uh okay so the first okay hold th- on
2: th-
1: <laughs> just just, uh, just to catch everybody up chris sent me a document one time about his um uh, sort of things that he'd learned about the SSL console and uh, manual delay compensation. And it was this spreadsheet of here is the delay with no insert, just going from the BNC cable in and out of the console on X path. And then this, this path and this path. And it was this huge chart of like, to the thousandth decimal point of latency of just the cable. And then it was, okay, now if you add in this bus, here's the other path. And then if you add in this bus, and then if you add a plug-in. I mean it was fascinating, but like you have gone to such lengths to get this right. So yeah for, for anybody who doubts it, this guy is an expert. So talk us through how you figured it out and what your process is.
0: Well it's it's funny. Like I'll say this first. I I think that the it was when I kind of got started on this console coming from Avid, which, you know, kind of handled all the delay compensation automatically and I didn't have to worry about it. Like I knew that I wanted to like spend some time to try to figure out make sure I was doing this right and not get into a situation where everything sounds all phasing and you can't figure out why. So right. I was fortunate enough to have, we had a nice long break and I actually brought the console to my house, set it up in my living room for like two weeks. And just really kind of hammered down on this and and took a lot of notes and ran some tests and kind of figured this out. But I think that, like, because I am so meticulous about latency, I don't end up, like, I don't end up really EQing things. There's no EQ on the guitars. Like, the guitars, the only EQ on the guitars is that pull tech on the bus. There's a high-pass filter on the channel. That's it and yep. i know it's all perfectly in phase and i don't it doesn't need to be eq'd
2: are those microphones so, palmers kempers
0: uh that's two that's a two mics on each cabinet so there's a sm57 and then an audio technica 4081 ribbon mic okay and then i use uh waves in phase to to time align those two sources and then that goes through all of the subsequent processing um so all that to say I, uh, the way that I kind of figured it out is by, it's just by trial and error, uh, is by basically running pink noise through both buses, inverting the polarity on one of the buses and just adding delay to the other one until it canceled out, which ended up at the time being like 700 and something samples. And then I kind of reverse engineered it from there. Like, okay, here is the total number of samples that I have. And then figured out what each accounted for each sample in either plugin or software or hardware down to where I know what every sample accounts for in that amount of delay.
2: Are we just talking about the console here? This is before even introducing... No,
0: we're talking about... Because the console, like, if you're going to do... Like, if you do a plug-in insert native on the console, it's a single sample. So, like, okay, at that point, like... Yeah, okay. I, I don't even... I, when I advise people about it, I don't even tell them to worry about it. Because it's so fast that it's not even worth... Like, a single sample at 96k is not even worth worrying about. Okay. In most applications. So... This is getting out to multi-rack and back. so but you're but you're applying your delays
1: to the console buses. correct. you're You're not using delay groups in super rack or multi-rack latency groups. yeah, latency so, groups. sorry. so
0: what i'm what I'm doing is is basically all the inputs in multi-rack or super rack, all the inputs are in a latency group so that all of those have a consistent delay amount. And then the longest path is the base because I use base rider live, which is like five milliseconds or something. Uh, And so that path defines the latency for all the inputs. And then all of the buses are in a latency group. So those are all the same time because they're relative to each other, but not to the inputs. Mm -hmm. And then the effects are all in a latency group. And then any kind of processing that I'm doing, like, on record buses or uh you know matrix outputs to the pa or whatever i don't even have those in latency groups because again like they are not relative in time to any other sources right once the sources are right then they get out to the pa already in time so you don't have to account for that correct so whatever delay happens getting in and out of multi-rack on my output to the pa is it's just what it is and there's no sense in making it any longer by putting it in a group with something that it's not relative to. So what happens is all of the channels, so like my channel, my longest channel is, you know, however many, um, you know, I think it's like 740 something samples to get out of the console, into an MGB, through the SoundGrid network, through the plugin and back to the insert return is 740, 747 samples, I think. So what that ends up being is so uh like the the MaDI card on the console is 12 samples in 12 samples out yeah. so that's 24 and then the mGB is four so that's 28 and then the um, your network latency for your sound grid network is definable depending on how much DSP you use I think I have mine at 160 so that's 188 samples and then whatever your plug-in your latency group total is is the difference so that ends up being you know 590 something whatever that is um so those that's how the pieces kind of get broken up and so then that gives you a total number and then Everything that doesn't have an insert that goes to Waves, I just apply that amount of delay to those channels or buses or whatever. So just using the channel delay, and I can do that in single samples, so I know that everything is sample accurate in phase.
2: And you've checked it all with pink noise, like you said. So exactly. when it one hundred percent goes away, you know, okay, that's it.
0: Exactly, and and that, and I check that from time to time because. You know, there have been issues with years ago, there was an issue with multi-rack would like randomly change the network latency value and, you know, several updates ago. And so like I got in the habit of like every couple of days or if something sounds weird, like I'll just, I have that, a channel with pink noise routed to those buses and I can just turn it on and flip the phase and check it. Now, the thing to keep in mind, and if you guys are doing this at home is any sort of processing that you have on those channels will affect the pink noise and make it not cancel perfectly. So you'll need to bypass all your plugins, right? Bypass, not disable. So you bypass, then you will, the delay will stay, but you'll, you won't be affecting, uh, you won't be affecting the audio and causing it to not cancel perfectly. Right. Because if you're EQing your pink noise
1: through a plugin in a different way than yeah, the dry channel, then right. it's
0: not going to be. Then it's not yeah. going to cancel. Yeah. Uh, right. Another thing to keep in mind is that waves plugins that have a crossover in them. Yep. That does not disable when you hit bypass. No way. So like C6, F6, C6, not F6, but C6, uh, Renaissance bass, max bass those plugins that have a crossover filter, I I finally got them to admit that they were unable (laughs) to make that filter bypass without it popping. So they bypass everything else. When you hit bypass, you hit in and you turn it off. It turns off all the processing in that plugin, except for the crossover. Wow. (laughs) So the crossover stays in. And so it, the crossover affects the phase around that filter enough to cause the pink noise to not cancel perfectly. So that's another, so like in that case, I was using (laughs) max bass on something at some point and couldn't get it to cancel until I disabled it. And then I called waves and they were like, yeah, it, it doesn't like when you hit bypass, it doesn't bypass the whole thing. That's so funny. I'm
1: I'm laughing because of course it's Chris Stevens that figured that out.
0: <laughs> I it's fun like I don't I I feel like they either really like me there or hate me. I can't tell, <laughs> but it, it's I you know, they I I feel like I'm calling them to tell them things more than I'm calling them to ask them things. <laughs> but
2: have they asked great. you to move to Tel Aviv? Yet? That's how you know.
0: <laughs> no. No, no, no. No, no. Uh but they uh so that's kind of how that is set up and how I manually compensate for the delay just by it. ultimately it's as simple as figuring out the throughput latency of the channel that you have an insert on and applying that amount of delay to channels that don't have inserts. Yeah. So it it's it's a really complicated convoluted way of of essentially just figuring out how much delay you need and applying it to the places where it isn't. Okay, so for the guys who got lost 10 minutes ago,
1: just <laughs> remind everybody real quick of why this is so
0: important. So essentially like when you have two when you have two instances of the same source. So as in a simple application, two microphones on the same guitar cabinet in, a, in an even more important and complicated situation, like two channels, two identical channels that eventually end up in the same, summed to the same group. If those two things are essentially at different arrival times, then you're going to end up without a phase information. Those waveforms aren't lining up perfectly. And so you're getting comb filtering and canceling By those two waveforms, not sitting perfectly on top of each other. Right. So that's why it's important to always make sure that everything is in phase and in time. And it's going to make your mix better and it's going to make it easier. It's going to require less processing to get what you want, because a lot of times what you end up doing is, you know, I see people put two microphones on a guitar cabinet. And they don't have a way to perfectly align those. Yeah. And then you just end up monkeying with the EQs on your two channels to try to compensate for the cancellation that you're causing by those two microphones not being in phase. Mm-hmm. And the and some of the arrival times are so
1: small in the amount of difference. Oh yeah. That it that it's not perceived as a phase problem. It's perceived as well something's yes. just weird with the EQ. Yes. And so I. Th- you know, I heard Robert Scoville a couple of weeks ago say that most people who are out there mixing right now have a lot of timing problems in their sources that they're not even aware of. Yeah, absolutely. And they, and they blame it on either the sound of the source or what the microphone is hearing or yeah. an EQ problem. And what you're saying is if you get that stuff tightened up and exactly right, then you'll have to use less EQ
0: and less processing because things are just right to begin with. If- if you have two microphones on a guitar cabinet and you mute one and it sounds good, and then you switch and you listen to the other one and it sounds good, and then you turn them on at the same time and it doesn't sound way better, something's out of phase. Like it should go from that one sounds good, that one sounds good, they both sound better. And if that's not the case, then you have a timing issue somewhere. Either don't use both or yeah. figure out the timing. Yeah, yeah. Either sort out <laughs> your your timing issue or just use one mic and and that's like like when we do tv like i end up kind of having to to a lot of tv guys are like two mics they just want to use one and they just turn the other one off yeah and i'm like no guys like they're in phase i know they are because like we have a whole jig that holds the microphones yeah that we bring to stuff like this to make sure that the microphones are in phase and they're like okay sure and they turn the other one on and it's like oh okay those do actually sound pretty good
1: <laughs> like no one else does
0: that and so yeah. you know those guys that hear a thousand bands like they see that all the time These two microphones they're not in phase with each other i'm just gonna look at the input list pick the microphone i like and turn that one on
2: yeah and some guys will just go well i'll pan one left and one right exactly
0: exactly and that's like so that's another thing that i think is that i've kind of stumbled upon with the panning of the guitars uh is like a lot of guys will just pan stuff as wide as it'll go and and i think for for tv that's great for records that's great but in you know when you're doing shows in in arenas or or in clubs it doesn't matter like when you're in a room that's big Yeah. Not everyone is hearing both speakers at the, no, you know, almost no one is standing in the middle. Right. So hard panning things left and right is you're, you're affecting, like if your lead guitar is stage, right. And you've got him panned all the way to the left in the PA. Well, nobody on the right side of the room is hearing the solo. And so what I end up doing is using the two microphones, the, um, the 57 ends up being a lot brighter than the ribbon. So what I end up doing is panning the 57 hard to one side and then the ribbon to kind of like, like if the 57 is at seven o'clock, then the ribbon ends up at two o'clock, you know? So one is panned hard left and the other one's panned a little bit right. And then the opposite for the guitar on the other side. So there's a little bit of information of both on both sides of the PA and and it creates some stereo image because the brighter microphone kind of pulls your attention out Mm -hmm. if you're in the middle but if not then you're still getting some information no matter where you're at in the room and you know like I always run like we always run our side hangs and delays and everything in mono just to try to get as much of the mix as we can to the places where people aren't getting the stereo image
2: yeah yeah Okay, so you just teed up a great transition into talking about soundscape, and I oh, know yeah. y- you've been using DMB for a long time, right? Yeah, yeah. So, what are your thoughts on that? Any plans to
0: experiment? I think it's incredibly cool. I mean, like we went to the launch in in Stuttgart a couple of years ago, and and it's, um, it, it is incredible technology. Um, the uh, for what we do, for the kind of touring that we do, as it stands right now, it's not really feasible.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I mean, and I don't want to like... Just, you would have to carry a massive amount oh of Oh my VA. gosh. So I'll say this. we I saw um bon on their last tour when they were doing um, Lisa, and it was mind-blowing. It was one of the coolest sounding shows I've ever heard in my life. I went with some friends who do not work like my wife and I went with some friends who do not work in the music industry at all. Yeah. And I kind of told them ahead of time, like they're doing this special thing with the PA, like pay attention to like, I'm interested to hear what you think about how the show sounds when it was over. Yeah. And so, I mean, it was unbelievable. It was so cool. They had, I think 14 hangs, 13 hangs, I mean, it was three trucks of PA. Wow. Yeah. there were there were more boxes for a lower bowl only arena show in that room than we use for stadiums <laughs> yeah <laughs> right and it was unbelievable and when it was over i looked at my friends and i was like what'd you think about how it sounded they were like oh man it sounded great and i was like would you pay extra for that and they said pay extra for what yeah mm. like so yeah i, I they don't think- know yeah, exactly. Like, pay extra for what? I thought it sounded cool, but no, I'm not paying extra. What are you talking about?
2: Yeah, and and also like the source material is a big deal, right? Like,
0: exactly. And like, bon Iver is a perfect example of an act that makes sense for that technology. Yeah, There's two if you're not dro- bon
1: Iver or Imogen Keep or, or yeah, York, or yeah, yeah, a rock band isn't isn't gonna. In fact, when they when they did the Aerosmith thing in Vegas with oh yeah with Lisa, it 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 kind of flopped because. They're not a band that really needs
0: that. kind. Well, of and when you only have when there's only five guys on stage, there's only so many places you can pan things. Yeah. You know, but like Bonavere has two drummers and 11 vocals and there's 10 people yeah. on stage and it's hugely complicated, rich, thick music. It's not a rock band. And so yeah. like it makes sense in certain applications. But I think I fear that the problem that they're going to run up against is getting people to pay for it on tours. Yeah. And because it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be three trucks, a PA it's, it's 10 audio guys at least, you know, mm-hmm. and then you start thinking about costs add up quickly when you start talking about trucking and labor and rigging and load in times and loadout times and crew oh, and catering yeah. and hotels and flights. And it, it's, I, I think, Unfortunately, for the touring market, unless the artist is willing to eat the cost, unfortunately, I don't see it becoming super pervasive, at least in the kind of touring that that I have experience in, simply because of it it being cost prohibitive.
2: Yeah. Again, if if the artist is going, no, I need this to help communicate yeah, what I I'm trying to deliver. Yeah,
0: I don't care what it costs. Right. Get it. That's great. And there are going to be some instances of that. But like uh, it, it's, those are going to be few and far between, I think, uh, which is a bummer because it's incredibly cool. And like, I did some work with, uh, with the spectrum installation at the Bridgestone arena for the predators. And they have a soundscape system there. Uh, and I did some programming on that when that system went in, uh, to be able to pan things around the arena for playback and stuff during hockey games. And it's incredibly cool. Uh, like, the way the whole thing works but i i wish that it were i wish that it didn't require you know a million sources because that's yeah. just you know that puts you in a situation of being you know it being cost prohibitive and time and space and everything else and even for that like for sports the average
1: patron oh yeah if if they notice they're not gonna Pay extra for their season tickets because they're there to watch a hockey game. No, they're They're there there to see sports. And
0: yeah, it's it's tough. It adds to the experience. It absolutely does. But you know, I mean, you're making that argument that like people are perceiving value that they don't know is there, and 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 that's great. Like people enjoy it more, and they don't know why. But I, I just I don't know. I'm I. I wish that it were easier and cheaper to get that effect because it's so cool when it's done well, but uh, you know, it's certainly not something that we're going to be touring with ever, or at least anytime in the distant future. I mean, we're, you know, and especially now where we're at in the industry with, with, you know, basically shutting down for at least a year. Like I think there's going to be a certain amount of, of ramp up time, you know, while you're seeing productions kind of get started again, I think things are going to start small. You're going to see smaller shows with smaller crews, less trucks. Yeah. People, you know, artists are going to be promoters are not going to be throwing tons of money out there to cover production costs. And so then artists are going to want to scale back. They're going to make back money that they lost sitting around for a year and a half. And so I think that's going to, that's going to factor in too because you're going to see smaller budgets, smaller crews for a while, I think, until things kind of level back out. And that could take, you know, that's going to take some time. Yeah. And it's really hard, you know, thinking about an experience as an
1: audience member. If you're only going to be seated, you know, if you have two empty seats on either side of you because of distancing or whatever's going to happen as we come back to live, like what's that experience as an audience even going to be like, even if they're willing to come back, you know to have that massive crowd kind of feeling it's it's going to be it, a, it's going to be a
0: while is it even fun to go to a i mean <laughs> it, like nobody wants to i mean it's weird enough going to a half full restaurant right like yeah. if you drive up to a restaurant and there's nobody in it you're like oh well that place probably isn't very good we'll go somewhere else yeah. if you pull up and there's a line out the door you're like oh this place must be great like and then you get in there and it's about the vibe and the noise and people are talking and everyone's having fun and you're experiencing that as a group and and i think we're gonna i think that the weirdness of like quarter or half full rooms is is only compounded in like a concert experience
2: yeah it for sure is in church you know we're meeting right now in a 2000 seat room with 100 people
0: oh gosh yeah
2: it's it's awful
0: yeah it's and i think there's going to be a lot of artists that are going to be willing to wait it out until things are back to normal And and then there's going to be other people that are going to want to, you know, let's get out there and do something like, let's do whatever we can. And, and I think you're going to see two very distinct school of thought, schools of thought on, on how artists handle rolling out shows coming out of this. So for churches, you know, most, a
1: lot of churches that I know are, are saying, gosh, until we can do this in person so that it feels like the church that we're trying to build we're just gonna stay online for a while and just yeah you know try to connect with people that way is is jason thinking about doing anything sort of virtual or any sort of engagement like how's he keeping up with his fans you know to to keep them kind of on board with what he's doing or is it
0: just uh we're gonna wait and see that uh those are questions that are far above my pay grade <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure, but yeah. uh but i think that for now uh you know, for the as of right now, they've they've canceled everything that we had on the books for twenty twenty. Yeah. Uh and then as far as what happens in twenty twenty one, I don't, you know, I, I don't think anyone knows. I certainly don't know and i and I'd imagine the people way, way, way above me don't know either. I, I yeah. think it's gonna end up being a wait and see. And and I you know, we were having this conversation with some friends recently and, and I think that I think that sports is gonna dictate pretty heavily what Mm -hmm. we end up doing in the concert industry because sports is going to come back first because they can make money putting hockey on TV, even if there's no crowd. Yep. There's some money to be made there. There is a revenue stream that exists outside of ticket sales. Right. Whereas with concerts there isn't. So I I think you're going to see sports start to come back first. And then if that goes well, then that bodes well for the concert industry. But if, if they start, having baseball games and, and NBA games and a bunch of people get sick, then that only pushes back our start date even further. So, uh, you know, I am obviously like hopeful that people are cautious and careful and that they make good decisions about rolling out in a responsible manner. But, you know, I, I, I worry that some setbacks in other event events, based industries are gonna are gonna adversely affect what we end up doing yeah well it's a it's a crazy world it's
1: i still feel like i'm watching a movie every day and that this can't this can't be real yeah and it's been months so and you know that's it's a good reminder for all of you guys out there who are in the industry you know we're gosh you know i i know that it's a it's a rough road and i know there's a lot of people who are suffering because they don't know when they're going to get back to work. And so just know that we're, we're with you. We're cheering for you. We're praying for you. And like Chris said, you know, I hope that people will be responsible in the way they do get
0: back into groups of people so that we don't have to be delayed a whole lot longer. And, and I think the thing that's interesting about it is that like, you know, obviously there's a, there's way more people that work in the restaurant business than there are in the event business, but like there's no takeout For the concert industry. Like, (laughs) right. You know, it's off. Yeah.
2: Like, and like, it's all already on YouTube for free.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and so, like, it's really interesting to think that, like, to take an entire industry and just flip the off switch overnight. Yeah. And, and it's, I still can't get my head around the fact that, like, there are no shows happening right now. Well, it was the first
1: thing to stop and it'll be the last thing to come back. So it's literally like, either ends of the spectrum mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. the especially the the folks who are you know crew and support for those events are going to yeah. be without work for the longest of anybody in in society yeah. really
0: it's yeah crazy. and i and i hope that that is not lost on the people who make decisions about that sort of thing because yeah, yeah. you know it is going to be this is going to be one of the industries that is going to be hit the hardest even though it is smaller and a little more niche like it's it's going to be hard for a lot of people for a really long time and yeah
1: but anyways anyways well man chris we can't thank you enough for your time today this has been great it's been great to talk to you and great to hear from you and your expertise and i just i hope that you know things get back to whatever normal is quickly for you guys but um i know that people are gonna have questions so if if, if anybody would want to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way to to find you on social media and just keep up with what you're doing?
0: Um I, I don't I don't really do, really do social media. I love it. Um, Chris yeah. is not on Facebook. No, and I am, what's the, I am what's not on like? Facebook. It's Tell great. us what that's like. It's it's fantastic. A couple years ago, I uh, I just I was like sitting there scrolling through my Facebook and just Becoming more and more agitated, and I was like, "That's it, I'm done." And I deleted it that day, and I have a haven't back. turned it back on. No, That's no, great. it's been great. And it's 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 a uh, the best thing is is when people know that you don't have social media, then they tell you all of the great things that happen on the internet and none of the bad things. <laughs> Nobody like shows you your phone and says, "Hey, this guy's a huge jerk. Look at this." Yeah. They say, "Look at this funny video I saw." Like what, what Facebook used to be. Exactly, so you get all the good stuff and none of the bad stuff. It's cr- I can't recommend it enough.
1: That's good. Well, at least everybody can keep up with Jason Aldean and what he's doing. And uh, yeah. just know that you know if you ever have a chance to see him live, you're gonna get to hear Chris's work, which is great. So oh, thank anyway, so thanks again for being with us. And um, we're gonna do some videos with Chris here shortly. So you're gonna be able to see his work and workflow on mxu now so we're excited about that and you'll be able to see when we talk about delay compensation on a video you'll be able to
0: actually understand what he means <laughs> because you'll see it work which is great yeah and we can you know do a little bit more nerdy tech talk and a little bit less social commentary and <laughs> yeah and, and that'll be more fun for everyone awesome right. well thanks again chris yeah thank you it's great to be here
3: Man, that interview with Chris was just so awesome. I personally love hearing that he started his career at his home church. Um, I don't, I don't know a better venue to get both wanted and unwanted criticism and feedback <laughs> from the crowds on your mix than in a church. Um, Belmont in Nashville, music business production degree. And uh, Spectrum Sound Company, where he launched his first tour. I'm always telling my students, uh, if you want to go on tour and you don't know anybody already touring in the industry, there's no better place to jump in than a sound company.
2: Yeah, in some ways, it's like the only surefire way. It's like if you can get hired through a production company and then, you know, the story, someone got sick and couldn't get on a tour and I ended up being the patch guy for 9 months like yeah. that's how it goes <laughs> yeah and you might have to start
1: by emptying the trash and sweeping the floor and then you move up to soldering cables and then you move up to packing trucks but you know what it's it's a great way to learn and it's one of the few industries where that sort of apprenticeship kind of somebody pouring into you model and working your way up is is still alive and well. And I think there's so much value in that because you learn so much.
3: And there's no dumb jobs on the gig. If you can't pack a truck, you can't be a production manager. If you don't know uh, when and where each role of the gig is supposed to happen, you're really not part of the team. So even the little tiny gigs along the way, you're going to stack them up and it's going to make you a better A1, A2, whatever it is you end up doing.
1: That's great. Well, this has been really fun, guys. Thanks for uh, the time today. It's always great to see you and talk to you, Um, everybody. Please send us your turn down for MXU. It's kind of hard because you're not in front of a big PA, so you're not getting get requests to turn things down. So let's change it for next time. Send us any comments you get about your stream and how awesome it it is or isn't, Um, because we want to keep these comments coming through. So um, send us a DM or an email um info at mxu.rocks
2: and we'll keep them coming awesome and don't forget check out mxu now jeff and i've been busy all summer making content for that with some other friends like daniel cannell's on there adam taylor corey edwards is on deck chris stevens actually in two weeks we're going to nashville to film him on his console and he's going to show us uh hands-on I had all his parallel compression processes, the delay compensation. Oh, and a couple weeks ago, you spent some time with Brad Maddox. I
1: did. And so, sidebar, how freaked out were you when he basically created a great mix with a high-pass filter and a fader?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was a little silly. It made me want to go do the (laughs) same thing. So, I mean, it was Katy Perry's band, which they're not hacks. But, you know, it was... It was high pass filters and faders. And we shot a whole video of him building a mix with just that. No tracks, just the backline rhythm section. It was super cool. So That's that awesome. that video will be out shortly also in the MXU Now library. Very cool. All right, everyone. Can't wait to see you guys next time.
1: And uh, until then, happy 4th of July. Don't blow anything up. Likewise. Yeah, stay
3: safe.
2: <laughs> I won't blow anything up, I promise.
3: Try to resist.